0: Hello everybody, welcome to The Mental Golf Show where we discuss all things golf psychology to help avid golfers improve their game. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. I am a golf psychology coach and I have been playing competitive amateur golf for over 20 years. And on today's episode, we've got John Weir, the creator of Mental Golf Type. Mental Golf Type is an incredible tool for understanding yourself better learning why you are the way you are, and how to lean into who you are to help you play your best golf. You're going to leave this episode with a better understanding of the importance of self-awareness and some actionable tools that you can use to improve your psychology and therefore improve your golf game. If you can better handle the things you encounter, then you can play better golf, and this episode gives you some of the tools to do just that. But before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor for the episode, the Divot Board. The Divot Board is the game-changing golf training aid designed to elevate your swing and revolutionize your game. I own a Divot Board. It's easily one of my favorite training aids I've ever used. I'm very picky for my training aids, so I believe that that's saying a lot. The Divot Board has patented technology that offers instant feedback both at home and on the range. With every swing, you gain valuable insight into the crucial point of impact as well as your swing path, enabling you to make real-time adjustments. And on a neurological level, you know I have to take it there on the Mental Golf Show, Making errors is extremely important because your brain takes that feedback and makes instant corrections, imperceptible corrections, to help you adapt your motion to the motion that you want. And the instant error feedback of the divot board has got to be one of the best tools ever made for this. And you can use this whether you have a ball or not. I use it in my backyard hitting foam balls into a bed sheet. I can imagine a scenario where you don't have any golf balls and you just spend five minutes getting a high quantity of swings and therefore tons of error feedback. The Divot Board would be perfect for that. No matter where you are or what your skill level is, this training aid will undoubtedly help you build the confidence and skill you need to excel on the course. You can get a Divot Board at a 10% discount by going to divotboard.com slash mentalgolfshow and use the discount code Mental Golf 10 at checkout to get 10% off your purchase. I'll have the link in the show notes of this episode. Again, that's divotboard.com/slash mental show and use the offer code Mental Golf 10 at checkout to get 10% off. Many thanks to Divot Board for partnering with the Mental Golf Show. All right, let's get into this conversation with John Weir. Hope you enjoy. Hey, good morning, Josh. John, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, where are you located? Are you on Eastern?
1: Yeah, I'm actually in uh, Pennsylvania right now. Got it. Okay, cool. Is but that pretty soon? We're we're on the road so much it feels like. Nice. Okay. It's <laughs> yeah. really a spot, you know. Yeah. You just yeah. Yeah.
0: Drift. Okay. But, so, when you say you're on the road, what do you mean? Like with my so
1: full time for Austin Trustlow. Um, oh, so we're regaining status now, um, and then with speaking and teams and just different things like that. Um, we're on the road quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How's how's he been playing?
1: Well, he's playing good. I mean, we unfortunately, he got injured, so we lost to Addis, so we're back at Q School, so we're getting geared up for stage two. Okay. Um, nice. But yeah, he had two massive wrist surgeries. So wow, we're happy we're playing, but we got it. We qualified into U S open this year. So that was our first event back together, which was cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. He, he Monday into a couple PGA events this year, but unfortunately I couldn't do it with my dad's situation, but sure. then I picked up from U S open on and then we chase Mondays and yeah, just know the grind in and out. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh man. I know it. I know it. Okay. Well, um, Yeah. I didn't know that about you, but, uh, if you will, we'll jump right into it. But, um, if, if you were to introduce yourself to a complete random stranger, what do you say? If, if like, um, I'm John Weir and blank, what, what would you say?
1: Well, actually I, I tend to be pretty low key about things unless I'm asked. Um, if they ask, I first tell them I'm a mental performance coach. And then also that I caddy on tour and, um, so that's usually where I start with my introduction.
0: Yeah. Does it does it ever get deep into like, okay, this is the thing that I created? Like, do you ever go there with uh mental golf type?
1: Uh yeah, I mean I mention it sometimes. Uh when that when we open up that rabbit hole, it usually is now a long conversation or um now it starts to get into its own coaching session, if you will. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, again, I, I tend to be I tend to keep it pretty low key. Um it's more you know, for a long time, people were asking, like, is the system working because of your experiences and your knowledge and insights? And now we've realized it's scaling out all around the world organically. Right. And so it's more about if I mention anything, it's more about the idea of what mental golf type is, because that's more important to me to get spread rather than uh, anything to do with me personally or individually. Right, Um, because it's a really exciting breakthrough that we've come across. And now as it's scaling and there's more and more coaches and more and more players getting involved, it's really the beginning point of something really new and something really extraordinary in the game of golf. Because as more great minds are starting to wrap their minds around these concepts and they're seeing that they're very self-evident, it only creates more developmental tracks. It only inspires more routes specific for these individuals to get them better. And the communication with our coaches has just been opening up like really extraordinary insights and things. So that's what's really exciting to me and um seeing it grow in that capacity. And the more that we get involved, um, it's really exciting to see where this goes from here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, you you graciously let me into the um into the program just as a comp, which was, I, I thank you for that. Cause I was starting to learn a lot of really good stuff. Your, your presentations are really dialed in and nice uh, aspirational for me as someone who likes to put stuff out. So uh, okay. the, when you say the idea of mental golf type and it's proliferation and it's organic growth, uh, what, what is that idea? It, uh, when, when someone says, uh, or when, when mental golf type comes to someone's mind, what do you hope they think of when, when they hear those words?
1: Sure. I I hope first off, they realize that mental performance isn't one size fits all. And when they hear mental golf type, I want people to hear that it's personalized mental performance rather than a generalized or, uh, blanketed approach, or kind of like the next tip on YouTube, if you will. Um, so it's more about understanding that and that it's actually a system to really diving into what the root of the problem most golfers face, which is inconsistency. And this is the big challenge, right, Josh? I mean, so many players, they, they hit it great on the range. They're working with their coaches. The swing looks beautiful on video. They're competent in their practice. And yet when they get to the course, they suddenly feel like a different player or they're not getting out of their game quite as much as they know that they can. And then we had those other experiences, right? You start off great and then you make the turn and you're coming in like a different player mm-hmm. or you have a horrible start. You throw up your hands because the score is kind of drifted away. And then suddenly the motion comes back and you finish up really strong. And so the real question that people scratch their head around is, is like, why can't I take it from the range to the course? And why is this inconsistency happening? And the answer that most players have had over, you know, since the conception of the game is more technique. Mm. Go get more practice. But when they're in practice, it looks really good and we're getting the results, right? And then we peg it and things are different. And so the underlying problem has really eluded golfers for a really long time, which is actually mental stress. And it affects every golfer, every round, no matter who you are. And nobody can really fight their biology. And so... What we're really hoping to bring to light is the fact that once you eliminate the mental stress, you actually get the best out of your abilities. Now, your abilities might be different than Austin, who I caddy for, and it's way different than mine, but we all have our own good and we all have our own bad, right? And when our swing breakdowns are happening, it's actually due to mental stress. The cortisol gets released into our brain it clamps down on the motor cortex, and suddenly we start seeing the byproduct in our swing. It's We're tight, it's off. If there's a lot of stress, then we have big breakdowns. But the reality is, is motion doesn't break down that fast. It is the mental stress that is causing the changes. And if anybody's taken any serious lessons or you're trying to rebuild your golf swing, uh, I mean, an honest golf coach will tell you that it's going to probably be about a year to an 18-month process to rebuild the motion patterns. So how can you hit a great on the range, walk to the first tee, peg it and suddenly perform different? It isn't the motion. It isn't that your technique is bad. It is underlying subtle mental stress that's the problem. Mm. And and this is this is just skirted our awareness because when people think of stress they think of acute stress, right? So like if you're in an accident right. or you got some big calamity happen at work, right? We think of these acute stressors yeah. Same with golfers, same with athletes, right? It's the first tee. Like we have a young man teeing it up in Bermuda this week. He's 15. He's going to feel those nerves on that first tee when his name's called. That's acute stress, right? Like you're feeling your heart race. Your hands are shaking. You are sweating more. You might need to go to the bathroom, whatever that is. But we know to attend to that, mm. right? Like it's really obvious, but it's more what inconsistency comes from and where those little breakdowns that are happening, plaguing you around and costing strokes is subtle stress. And so when we start looking at mental golf type, what it's revealed and what we've come up or figured out is your personality type actually is connected to your stress response and your reactions to stress are predictable based on your hardwiring. Mm. And so it's a way that we can elevate our awareness to go, whoa, I'm using my mind improperly, I'm stressed, and a looming swing breakdown is coming if I don't change this. And it's amazing that we just apply some simple little tools that are based on your brain, your brain relaxes. Now, suddenly, there's freedom of motion. And so if, I'm sorry, it's a long-winded answer, no, but if man. this of awesome. mental golf type, it would be, one, it's the solution to inconsistency because it's going to reveal what you do and what you do when you're stressed and when you think of most mental things it's about fixes it's about trying to correct a problem we focus on your actual strengths so we identify your strengths and now build it around that mm. and it's it's personalized and and that's really the way that we can get to the core of the problem with every player
0: and and the thing about revealing your strengths is it also on the other side of that same coin reveals your weaknesses right so on uh, to every letter of the Mental golf type, the personality type. There's an opposite, right? And mm-hmm. and is it by default always? If I am an I, the uh, E is my uh, natural stress response, or or maybe explain that to me.
1: Sure. So the personality is a pretty complex thing. So the way that we've set up and what we have right now with level one is the foundational program that will introduce you to the four facets of our mind and the dichotomies. So we're all born with the knowledge that we're either right-handed or left-handed. One will be dominant through our whole life and one's going to be inferior. Now, I can certainly develop my inferior hand. Like, for example, when I played basketball, I had to learn how to dribble with my left hand. Mm -hmm. I got pretty proficient at it. However, it's still not as effortless or as smooth as playing with my right. So everyone at home could listen to this right now. If you take out a sheet of paper, sign your name with your natural hand, with your dominant hand. Notice your performance. Notice the results. Most people would probably describe this as smooth, effortless, easy. The results are clean. It's what you wanted. Now put it into your opposite hand. Sign your same name. Notice the difference in performance. So it's more tedious. It takes more work, more concentration to produce mediocre at best. Okay, what we don't armed with or are aware of in our life is that our minds have four main facets, our energy, our perception, or how you focus, how you make decisions or evaluate the world around you and how you prioritize your time to get things done. And like our handedness, our minds are set up with a dominant and an inferior. So in level one, what we're doing is we're introducing the It's not generalized, but more of the Mm. broader overview of building the vocabulary, the underlying um, concepts of the mind so that we can actually have a a better dialogue and a more specific, like when you talk about focus, I mean, that's such an intangible idea that it could be anything. Mm. But now we know our brains focus two different ways. And so what we would do is key our players in on what your natural strengths are, because again, it's easier for you. I mean, think about the zone. You never got off to playing in a really good round of golf and go, wow, that was hard, Mm -hmm. right? The the thing that is, it's so easy. You scratch your head and you go, why can't I do this all the time? Well, on those days, you stumbled across and were using your strengths. And because you're using your strengths and your brain is relaxed, you had the best out of your technical ability and were able to succeed. Mm -hmm. Now, as we start going into level two, which we're going to probably put out this year, level two starts diving into modes of operating. And you'll find that everybody has all things. And yes, if you're an introvert, you do have positive extroverted qualities because Carl Jung identified that there's a constant truth. You're always engaging in the outer world and the inner world at the same time. So you're going to have a a positive and negative side of both. And we're always gathering information and making decisions about Mm. that. Mm. And as we look in uh, modes of operating, it gets even more scary specific and it's pretty spooky about seeing those progressions in and out of stress. Mm. Um, so, again, level one is is kind of the first building block. But even just these core concepts, I mean, players are just lighting it up and yeah. it's so simple and so easy. Uh, for example, on your point of extroverts and introverts, it's just even the power of talking versus not talking. Mm. So, extroverts they process their thinking by verbalizing their hardwired design to put their energy out so we just take kids out there even young juniors and have them talk out their shots if they're an extrovert what is your plan what do you want yeah. to do and them simply talking out their shot you could see on the focus band their brain lights up green it's relaxed and they stripe it mm. now if you tell those same kids you should be serious and focused out there and get quiet why aren't you being uh, you know paying attention or involved? Those kids will take the snake shot and they struggle. Mm -hmm. If you have them shut up and not talk, they get internalized and the stress starts building up and you're just going to see a constant change and breakdown in their motion. Crazy enough, you just pull the same kid off and say, hey, let's talk it out. What do you want to do? Tell me what you want to hit. Boom, right back. Mm -hmm. Same thing we show with the introverts. Introverts are hardwired designed to conserve their energy. You'll see this with players like Tiger Woods or Justin Rose they're not real outgoing or expressive, they're conserving their energy. Their stressors will come from the outside world or when they get too caught up in the environment. So again, you have an introvert, they should be processing things through quietly in their mind. But how many coaches will interject there with that introvert and go, hey, talk it out. Now, Mm -hmm. as they talk, they step in, they're actually stressed and they'll start performing poorly. Hmm. And so for anybody who signs up, even for our free members uh, area, you'll see these demonstrations happening and how quick a shift is with just something so subtle as that. Mm. Uh, and how easy is that to make a shift? Um, and it's amazing just on how it it just unlocks performance. It, yeah. It's just the subtleties on how you use your mind to make it relax. Right. And so yeah. research just talks more universal. So again- sure. The question I looked at is, is, okay, if universally we know stress is breaking down your motion and changing your focus, changing your decision-making, your energy usage, and actually how you prioritize getting things done. Mm. Well, that's a pretty big thing to focus on. Mm. However, what stresses you, Josh, is going to be way different than me, and my reactions to that are going to be different. So, again, universal keys us in, but now we got to get into some of the subjectivity. And personality type actually reveals that.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, Which is,
1: which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. So, so the, the individualized uh, nature of mental golf type would probably be the number one thing that it does, that it adds on top of just the general knowledge about psychology, right? It, it keys in on, okay, what's your specifically and, and what, causes you to be stressed or to be locked in? Is that a pretty good way to say it?
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. And then again, we can look at what the zone is. I mean, it's simply the absence of mental stress. If you don't have mental stress, where are you? You're present, you're relaxed, you're enjoying yourself. Now, when people say, well, I'm not stressed, stress is kind of like, think of it like a thermometer or like a blanket term. I mean, there's a lot of varying degrees of stress. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it could be up from I'm a little uncomfortable all the way to I'm panicked or fearful. Right. And obviously, that spectrum is going to be different levels of these chemical releases in the brain and hormonal releases and different impacts on the motor cortex. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's literally what's what's breaking it down. And then same with the zone. We look at things like targeting. Most people just take that for granted. But Mm. like, if you're an intuitive like myself trying to do aim small, miss small, literally I shut my game down just Mm. with my targeting. Mm. So there's even inside of the routine, it's like there are nuances within that that players are just overlooking or they're just taking the generalized advice and thinking it's going to work universally. And this could actually be the thing causing some of your performance breakdowns. Right. Whereas like when I work with Austin, he's a strong sensor, needs to be specific. We go into a links course, he struggles because it's actually really broad. You could hit it anywhere, Mm -hmm. right? And you would think that that would be easier. Mm. But for him, that actually would lead to bigger misses because for that type of mind, it needs to be clear. He's going to perform better on tree line courses, things that are precision because it helps him to get specific in the targeting. Mm-hmm. Whereas I need to play to more areas and zones. And that's what actually gives me freedom to unlock my motion and perform accurately. Mm. Um, and so there's all these little, little subtleties that within the things that you're doing that you finally key in and go oh, that's why on that day I played really well. I was mm. actually targeting like that, or that's where my focus was. Um, and then there are predictable shifts. like So everything we talked about, there are predictable things that you do on the other side. Mm. And so it becomes really obvious. I mean, part of the mystery of the mental game is, is most people just don't know what to do. Yeah. Or you're starting to learn how to hit a golf shot, right? It's like, well, if you play a draw, right? What benefit is to learn a lot about the fade, mm-hmm. right? You're going to want instruction based on what you naturally do best. And that's essentially what mental golf type is with the mental game, right? It's a fitting. It helps you to discern what's going to work right for you and what may not. And also it's a great discernment tool for your actual performance. So again, we look at, we, we have a, a tough day. What do most people do? They're just going to say, I hit it bad. And so they're going to run to the range. What might not be your swing in that case. So even within our shot processes, all of our zones are outlined of what to do based on your type and what not to do. Like what actually is your predictable stressor and how to shift it. If your shot process, let's say, isn't set up and it's not producing at a consistent level where you are free of mental stress consistently and you have an approach to put yourself there. You can't accurately discern whether it was a swing breakdown or a mental breakdown causing your performance woes. So again, learning to build that consistency and having that blueprint to go, okay, these are my exact ways to do things. Everything else is clutter. We're going to strip it out because it's not necessary for performance. But if any of those things emerge, it's not a qualified process. And so it's likely that it was the mental stress that had the swing breakdown. Mm. Now, if you're... Out there, and players are like John. I'm I'm working my process well. I'm I'm right there. I know I'm tuned in, but I'm not getting the results out of my golf swing. Well, immediately, you know, hey, go call your instructor. It's your swing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's your swing breaking down because mm-hmm. mentally, we're we're staying consistent in the area that we can be consistent in, in golf. Right. And the more we're consistent with with our mental approach, the more consistency you get with your golf swing. It's just the basic science. I mean. Yep. And we could say, well, that's not the case, but no golfer can fight their biology. Mm. They they just can't. It's going to win out every time. Mm. And so we're empowering players in the fact that like on course, you literally start becoming your own coach because you can hit that shot. And rather than just going right to technique, our players go right to their process Mm. and they go, well, was this in line? Was this in line? Oh, that was off. There's the adjustment point. And now that next shot is free of stress and they're already rebounding and recovering rather than wasting their energy evaluating things that it's not. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then let's say this the routine was there. They go, oh, I must have just not uh, released the club. Or, oh, I just need to do a little bit better job staying in posture, whatever. And there's no emotional reaction. There's no frustration. There's simple cause and effect and adjustment right there. And players over time just shrink that down so quickly that – it's just catching. Quick. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it becomes much more second nature than um, I'm having to wonder after every single shot was that I, f- I thought I went through a good process, but you, you didn't know the process for you that you're supposed to go through. Or like you said, our default is usually I, uh, I uh, flipped, flipped my club at the bottom. Well, your swing, like you said, doesn't break down that quickly right? It's almost more often, more likely your mind in some way. So I guess my question is, um, is the way we talk or are talking about stress is it's, um, inherently a bad thing or a negative thing is, is that true? Am I coming away with that correctly? Is, would you say stress is always bad or unhelpful?
1: Well, I do think that there's a difference between, let's say, competitive pressures and stress. Okay. Okay. So I think every athlete likes the competitive pressure and being in that arena, right? And there's a difference when we're there competing versus self-defeating. So I would think that stress is sometimes self-defeating. We're getting in our own way, Mm -hmm. right? It's like we're not being able to bring our best. But yeah, there are, what most people think is stress, they tend to think of it in a couple ways. Good stress, right? Yeah. Um, I got into the event. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, now I got a, some good stress, right? I got to get prepared. I got to go perform well. I got this. And you have bad stress, obviously, accident struggles, things like that. Appropriate stress. You you qualified for the open. You're, sure, you're on your yeah, first yeah, yeah. tee, right? Your name's being called. That's appropriate right. to feel your body going. And then they think of it inappropriate, right? Like you have the temper tantrum after a shot, a little inappropriate or different. Sure, things. sure. So there are various stress. I mean, in performance though, I, I think it's different with pressure and stress. So that's kind of how I make the distinction. Right. Um, so yeah. I hope that answers no, that. that No, I get it.
0: It. it. And it is, it's a little bit like nitpicky, splitting hairs on what does this word mean? But when someone encounters- uh, nervousness let's say something we all encounter depending on the level of importance or the consequences potential consequences of the thing that we're about to play in when we encounter that it's uncomfortable right we we maybe some of us even wish that feeling away but when we're when we're encountering that nervousness how do you think about okay um, is it a like in that moment, how do you delineate between okay, this is good or this is bad or this is uh, in line with my uh, personality or or it isn't, right? Sure. How do you think about that?
1: Well, in any situation, see, like once you start getting armed with the understanding of your your golf type or your your personality, you're going to feel those things in those situations. Now, we do a three step process that's based off your physiology, your neurology, and personality as a way to combat it because Mm -hmm. all stress is an automatic reaction anyways. I mean, it's not like anybody chooses that or it just comes on. And the reason is, is because we're actually like processing the world. Like when it gets into your, the things that you're aware of in your conscious mind is actually like a second to a second and a half delay of reality. So Mm -hmm. your brain has already processed it through the first two filters. Your first filter is, is your hardwiring or it's a binary system. Is this Mm. a threat or is it not? Yep. Okay. Yep. So an easy way of answering that, if you're viewing the situation as a threatening situation, or you have a big consequence, it's typically a negative type of situation. Okay. Um, Because again, the stress response will happen to real or imagined threats. Right. Okay. So that the subconscious will fire it off. So as soon as it comes into your awareness, you're already reacting. So what mental golf type helps you to do is, is you'll know predictably that if you're stressed, your mind's going to go here. Well, you can start overriding that by actually taking control. Like, let's just go back to the targeting example. I'm on the first tee and I'm like getting really precise or I'm feeling that I can take charge by now going, okay, I actually need to set my zone. Now, once I set my zone, my mind has a little ease up, Mm. right? There's a relaxing because I'm actually putting it into my right hand, if you will, Yes. rather right. than my inferior, right? I see. And so what we're doing is, is we're taking your predictability and actually shifting it. So it's not teaching you to do new things. It's actually teaching you what you do. So again, if you start doing that, you'll find you can perform in pressure situations better by aligning it and actively taking control and doing things based on what you do best. Right. Okay. And okay. that's what you want to consciously take charge of. I also think that a lot of players mislabel um, nervousness. Okay. Uh, I, everybody gets it. But like, even like I do a lot of public speaking, it's the number one fear that people have in the world. I mean, it's no different than getting up on the tee shot. You're there. Eyes are on you and you have to hopefully articulate, right? Mm. Well, the heart's beating, the adrenaline's coming through. One Think about the difference. Like, if when you're nervous or you're excited, (laughs) like, think about like you're really looking forward to one of your bucket list golf courses, and it's the night before you get the butterflies, you get your heart racing, and we call that excitement. So, again, Mm. it's listed as it's defined differently. Mm. We can have the same physiological feelings and call it nervousness. Well, even just the label will apply a positive or negative connotation to it we tend to reframe it into performance energy. What it really is, is it's all systems go. This matters mm-hmm. to you. Your body's getting you ready to go. You're getting pumped. Everything's tuning in. Your mind is tuning in. Your senses are increasing. It's actually your performance energy. Mm-hmm. And in those big moments, we we often tell the players, like, these are privileged to feel this. Like, we're working hard to feel this. When we're feeling this, we're really making big movement. And then again, so that reframe right there changes it. Okay, I'm excited. This means my body's ready to go. Mm. But again, with all of that going on, we have to be aware of where our mind is. And now that's where we want to make sure we're consciously taking control and aligning things to our strengths. Right. Um, yeah. so, but we have, like I said, a simple three-step process. It literally rewires your brain and creates new neuro pathway to create the relaxation response in its place. So as we get the reaction, we're going to respond. Mm. And again, we respond through our body, through our neurology, and our, our our personality to send three different signals to the brain. Hey, I'm cool. <laughs> no cause for alarm here. Right. Like, I, I got things under control.
0: It's not a threat.
1: It's not a threat. Right. right. And yeah. now what we're doing is, is let's say, even if you just did those three steps and it wasn't perfect you're still desensitizing that old stressor. You're literally uprooting it and creating a new pathway that's not only built like to create a relaxation response, but it's built to what you do best. Right, And okay. that's where it gets desensitized. And pretty soon, you're just building out the habit of your own peak performance state. So hmm. now we're going to continue work on, on technique, right? That's going to continue to take you to a different level overall as a player. But what most people don't overlook is, is you have a scoring window or what we, there's like a scoring variance based on your average. We don't look at handicap. We look at like a 10, 10 round average. Okay. Get 10 round, 10 scores, get the average of that. Let's say it's a 75. Well, next time you peg it, you can't really expect to go out and shoot a 65. That would probably be beyond the the range. That 10 Mm. shot window is going to be like, Hey, on a great day, I'm going to shoot 70. And on a poor day, I'm going to be closer to 80. Now, if you don't have a good mental game, you got variance way up and down this board. Mm. With consistency in the mental game, what you're going to do is it's going to determine your performance that day. Your technique is going to determine your overall level as a player, your overall skill set, but your mental performance will determine what you do that day. And the more consistent that is, the more you're minimizing your scoring variance, and you're going to get a lot more consistency out of what your technique is. Mm. And so when you're desensitizing the stress and we're adding these components into it, you're going to have way more consistency across the board and a game gets a lot more fun and it's just a lot more enjoyable when you're paying a lot of money and not to be stressed and actually get out of your game what you've been putting in.
0: Exactly. Man, that's well said. Yeah. uh, Something I like to say is the purpose of the mental game is to give your physical game the best opportunity to show, right? It's not to... Change your physical game. It just you have a skill that you have built through practice, through experience in tournaments and court and and playing. But your mental game allows that to be accessed. Like you said, it's just biology from like signals sent from your brain to your body. Right? That's the mental game. Is that right? Fair to say, hundred
1: percent. And and just people don't realize those effects. I mean, I. A lot of the research we've done, I looked at is in a lot of the military. Um, They're really invested in getting things right. They have the (laughs) highest stakes in their performance situations, right? And what was interesting is, is like, because people say, well, you know, how does this really break down motor programs? Well, even your heart rate is connected to your motor functioning. People don't realize that. And in one of the books that I read, they were talking about your heart rate with those old rotary phones where you Mm -hmm. had to dial it. They said like a person would be in a life or death situation with their loved one there and their stress was so high they could not dial 911 to save their loved one's life. Yeah. now that's that is crazy motor breakdown. Yeah. We right. don't tend to get to that point, obviously, in golf, thank God. Yeah. Um, but even like the higher your heart rate gets, it's gonna break down your motor functioning. Mm-hmm. And then again, think of the example. If I put a balance beam on the ground right here and I asked you to walk across it, there's no threat. There's no consequence. you get on it, walk across, probably jump. You could turn around, do all kinds of different things. I don't know. It <laughs> sounds Take the same hard. balance beam though, <laughs> Right. put it across two buildings with a busy oh, street below. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Same board, same beam, right? It should be easy. Just go walk across.
0: Same it. technique.
1: Same yeah. technique, right? You walk all the time, but really think about how your movement would change as you approach that beam going over the road. Mm. Again, there's a consequence, a real one there. So you mm. would see a major breakdown in the way our motor people would probably crawl across it Somebody some <laughs> might not even be able to get to it or even put their foot onto it. Right. right. It's just, we would shut down. Mm. You get down onto the ground again, street level. What's going to be with your walking ability. Stress mm. is gone. Walk normal. This is happening with the golf swing the same way. Now, there are some people like in the skyscrapers, those guys, I got those old pictures, they walk across and eat their lunch on those beams, but they're not experiencing the stress or the fear. And so the motor functioning is there. You look at those urban climbers, they do the same thing. It was really interesting because I watched one of those and they were actually trying to train like somebody to do it. And the guy's like, look, walk normal. It's just like walking across this, right? And he was trying to train the same thing this guy's like, oh, I and and you just see them inch across. Mm. And yeah, you're you're a thousand percent right. Mm. Your brain with these chemicals won't let your best come out. When your brain's relaxed, now your physical body can perform. Mm. It's your mind runs your brain, your brain's running your body. And so That's if well that said. chain of command is off, you can't put it to the lowest tier and expect the body to perform because it's it's only the student, really.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. The um the I I believe it was you. I think it was a video I saw of you talking. Uh, and and if it would if it wasn't, forgive me to the person who did say this. But you're um, the I think you were talking about a roller coaster. A roller coaster is neutral, right, by mm-hmm. nature. And um, or uh, d- does this sound like something you've yeah. talked about? Okay, the yeah. the roller coaster is neutral, but how we respond to it and how how we perceive it as a threat or as a fun yeah. thing is what changes it from neutral to great or bad, right? Threatening or exciting. And, and a round of golf is neutral, right? A golf course is neutral. The golf course, isn't doing anything, doing anything to us, right? A golf ball definitely isn't doing anything to us and, uh, other people's their, their opinions of you are neutral until you respond to these things differently. Is that, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So a lot of people make, I guess it would be an error in thinking like, it's this outside person, it's this outside thing creating the stress. And yeah, it's not actually the roller coaster creating stress, or that's not what's important. It's our own internal responses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, where, where mental golf type or personality type comes in is you start learning what your response is. And then again, going back to earlier, we again with the strengths just like stress is specific most people they don't understand their actual gifts either i know that sounds really weird but again we don't really take on the world from a personality perspective we take we delete distort and generalize all the time and so the things that you naturally do great we tend to make the assumption that everybody does it that way mm-hmm. or everybody does it like we're not right. seeing like wow no my, this is actually a gift of mine and so Really tuning in and understanding, like, what's your natural strengths? What do you actually do best? It's, mm-hmm. it's a really powerful thing to start identifying in yourself. Right. Because, again, we we just make that assumption. And this is where errors in communication happen with coaches or players or parents and their kids. Uh, we're making the assumption you're seeing the world the way I do. Mm-hmm. But there are actually 16 different, like, biocomputers, if you will. And so even if we're arriving at the same decision, we're probably coming at it from a whole completely different perspective in getting to that place. Right. And so even just tuning into your strengths, this is what you do best. It, it's something that gives you that confidence now to go out there and do it because it, it's what you do. Mm. And it, it's why it works for people too, Josh, because again, it's it's just keying you in on, hey, these are the strategies you have used in the past that have always been successful for you in any endeavor in life. Right. So let's start learning to apply this more and be more consistent here. And you're going to find everything else is going to fall right into place. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so with awareness of your mental golf type, your personality type, your own gifts and strengths, how, uh, when you're instructing a player or coaching a player, how much are you instructing them to be aware of even like as basic as just those four letters or, uh, the general concepts of your strengths, how how much should that be at the level of our conscious awareness as we're playing? Is that something that you try to get players to think or do you try to help it blend into the background of their mind?
1: Uh, I mean, as far as their shot process goes, I mean, we're making that dedicated conscious efforts all the time till that is the grooved habit. Right. And then, yeah, we're trying to make them actually aware of all things. So you can't transform your life, have a breakthrough in your game without awareness, right? So Mm -hmm. first thing is, is to go and progress through the learning process. You've got to get aware. Now, this second stage of learning sometimes isn't fun for people because you're starting to become aware like, okay, this is my strength, but you're not in a habit of doing that all the time. You're more in a habit of probably playing in a lot more stress. So you're Mm -hmm. also becoming aware of that. Mm -hmm early on, what we're trying to do is, is I'm raising the awareness of both sides, because actually it's really successful to see your struggle. And now correlate it to where your error was mentally, right? So once you're aware of that, it's actually a big step forward because you're, you're now aware. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz and you pull the curtain aside. Now it's like your mind can't go back there. Now we're just going to keep progressing. And so That's part of it, raising awareness of both. And so a lot of that comes from, you know, post-round evaluations and diving through the successes as well as the struggles and actually comparing them now from this lens. And again, Mm. it's predictable and it will be there. Context changes or content changes, but the context is always the same. Mm. Um, Their mind is predictably going to this place versus this place. Now in coaching, some players need help with having the outside observer being able to identify that for them too. Um, But everybody can do that on their own with some awareness and, and elevating that beyond that, like once they have like their routine in place and they have some of these things in, in check, my job is I take them on the course and I put them under the most excruciating, demanding situations that they'll ever face in golf. Um, Some of my players called it hell golf. I mean, they just, (laughs) they, it it was demanding and it's hard. And what I'm trying to do is bring awareness of getting them in stress in practice and we're putting consequences and rewards on it. Like they can make me do consequences or sometimes it's for a free lesson time. If they conquer the challenge, it's free. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, and so again, every time you tee it up, you have a reward and you have a consequence of failure. And um, so we get comfortable with both of those. And next thing is, is it's to elevate the stress so that they can learn to make those shifts in practice. Most players are doing this in tournament play. They, and so they're learning and growing, but my players are competing start to finish because we're preparing them and they'll never face anything in a tournament like what they've faced in my practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, like yeah. they'll never get a tap in with me ever. Right. Like, you're always going to make a three to four footer to clear the hole. I don't care if the members are back there screaming in irate <laughs> and calling the pro shop. It's we're part drawing of the stress. It back. We're drawing it back until you hole it, let's mm. just say. Yeah. Um. And sure, sure. we're learning to put our mind into the right place under stress and pressure.
0: Mm.
1: Now we feel like this is adequately preparing players because you're never going to make your practice round in a competitive round feel the same. Uh-huh. The only thing we can try to do is make your practice harder so that your tournament will feel a little easier. Why is it easier? Because you get tap-ins now, mm-hmm. right? Um, right? Your rough isn't out of bounds. It's not a 20-yard penalty, right, where you're pulling back 20 yards or going through things. Like if my players have driving issues, we're going out onto the course and we're going to play really tough things with demands and constraints on their driving. Mhm. Uh-huh. And then again, if they they're not successful, I'll let them go through a little bit and then I'll watch. If they're not succeeding, now I'll give a little intervention. Now I'm working it through. We'll see the change in the performance. And then let's say the last three holes, it's back on them mm. to now demonstrate and to go back in and have a new test period. So it's usually kind of observe, instruct, and then let's see what we're retaining and testing right. it. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at. But it's it's always a focal point. Um, but typically you'll start when you hear the language with your students, you just go right to where the root right. of it is. And then again, we're reinf- teaching the education side of the stress. This is what you're actually doing. And this is, again, what's creating the problem. This is what you do best. Now let's start working this in. Once they get it, now we start testing it and we just keep making it to it's rock solid and we know it will hold up. Right.
0: And, and with the, with the overarching uh, idea of you're not mindlessly going through this stress, you are, we're opening up the can and, and saying, this is what you're experiencing. Don't run right. away from it. Don't bounce. Don't ignore it. Don't distract yourself from it. This is what you're experiencing because the knowledge and awareness of what you're experiencing is is your first line of defense. And if you if you say I'm just going to sing a song and maybe that could be a helpful coping technique for you, but if I'm not even going to let myself notice when I'm stressed, then you have no ability to respond in your own way correctly.
1: Yeah, so like we immediately if you're recognizing it, our students now go to those three steps They're going to take charge of their physiology, send a different signal. They're going to start changing the way they're using their breathing to send new signals. And now they're going to actively take control of one of their strengths, depending upon what phase of the round they're kind of in, right? Right. So we have a lot of ways of elevating things like detecting your stress. We have like this inventory that you can kind of go through to kind of identify some of those things. And then you can use mental rehearsal tools to start desensitizing that experience as well. Mm-hmm. But let's say like you struggle hitting over water, par threes over water, they just scare you. And that's your home course, you got a par three over water, right? And that's the trouble hole. So let's say we're getting near that situation, we're going to, again, fire off those three steps. And for me, I need to now make sure I'm setting my zone, I'm going to actively take in charge of my focus function, mm. because that's my my dominant, it's my primary. And I'm going to make sure once I've done the other two steps that I'm taking charge of that specific area. Let's say it's post-shot and I'm having stress. Same thing. Step one, two, now I'm a feeler. I need to be supportive of myself. I need to be building on my successes. And as hard as it is at times, I have to start every evaluation process off by finding something good. Mm -hmm. If I don't find something good for my personality and the way I evaluate the world, I'm literally deflating my confidence. And I'm going to be stuck in this fix-it mode and Mm. very critical. Mm. So I have to start there. So again, I already know. And that's going in. I have my little note on my yardage book. It's like, this is it. Step one, two, find something good. For your song, let's say I'm an extroverted person and I'm in between shots and I'm stressing, right? Again, I'm going to fire my first two steps off. Then I might just want to engage with people. I might start singing in a song and that might yeah. actually be a part of my strategy, but we're still following it up with the other signals. And this is how we're going to take total control. Mm. Um, like your physiology and your body language has a big impact too, on the way you think and feel on what you'll accept. Um, even studies show like your body language having low power posture can actually invoke greater cortisol and lower DHEA. Wow. Well, okay, that's a simple thing to start taking control of, right? Mm. But it's not going to be enough because, again, you still got to deal with your brain. Right. And so, again, we just want to key in on strategies that are built specific for you. Mm. Now, an introvert might not want to be talking in between shots. That introvert might actually have to be quiet again, route himself away from the group to recharge,
0: mm.
1: right? And yeah, and so um, unless we know this, we, we really don't know what strategies will actually work for us Yep, and appreciate what will work for someone else, but we'll know, hey, I'm not going there because again, relating it back to the swing. I play a draw. I'm not going to do this fade technique. Mm. That's counterproductive for what I do in my game, mm. but I can appreciate that guy hitting the fade. That's cool. That's a cool drill. That looks great, you know, mm. but that's not for me. Now, Hmm. mentally, we're starting to get that discernment again because, hey, I can say I can't aim small, miss small. That's not for me. I'm not going to play to a spec. I'm an area player. I need to engage my target a lot more. So I need to watch more of like Cam Smith versus Xander Shoffley. Hmm. Like when you watch Xander's routines, Xander doesn't look at the target. He's a strong sensor. Most people say, hey, you got to stare at the target and react. Seventy five percent of the population of the golf world doesn't do that well. Hmm. And you'll see that on tour. Just watch on tour. Watch how many guys will stare at the target for longer than two seconds at a time or three seconds, even in their routine. Tiger Hmm. has an eight second routine. He looks at his intermediate spot twice. He sets to the target. And after that, it's all intermediate. Xander Shoffley looks at it and his 11 seconds, maybe for a half second. Okay. They're not reacting to anything, mm. but you look at all the disconnects on why people are inconsistent. 75% of the population is told, Hey, go react to the target. They stripe it in their practice. They go to the course. Now they're trying to react. <laughs> okay. It just, it, it it's not only it's stress producing for their brain, which will break down their swing, but it's opposite of even how they're practicing. Mm. Yeah, and, and like just that, alone. Okay. It sounds so simple. So, yeah. so like well-intended, but that can actually right. hurt the game of 75% of the population.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, one of our, as, as coaches that you and I are, but most golfers encounter a coach on some level, even if it's not their own, they hear advice from a coach or a swing coach of some kind, uh, our, our bias, our own, view of how we do it tends to paint everything that we say. Plus also what we put out, uh, you know, in, you know, social media content by nature has to be generalized, but the general population takes all this advice as gospel for me, right? Because that smart person is saying it, it must be right. And every golfer must be experiencing it this same way. And, and that's where mental golf type is so valuable because it, it, you can interpret what people are saying and say, okay, yeah, that's valuable. Okay, that's not for me. That's like keep on scrolling, right?
1: Correct, hundred percent. And yeah. we've done all this with focus band and biofeedback techniques, and we we've tested it. And then like going to the thing I was mentioning about softly and things and not engaging the target. Um, we have a concept called the focus line, and that de- it was totally opposite, Josh, what I had read prior in so many books. And to your point one of the reasons I had a struggle in academia was they said, expect a really low success rate, like an eight to 10% success rate over the life of your career. Well, that completely demotivated me to want to follow those types of modalities, but it makes sense when you start looking at personality level, because what we actually tend to do in life without this awareness is we place our model of the world out there. Yeah, And that's why when you look at that low success rate, I mean, I think the largest percentage of like a personality type might be like 12 to 15%. So there you're starting to see why like that might work for some people, Sure, why this route didn't work for people. And again, when we look at coaching or parents and everything, same thing, we put our own model out there. Mm -hmm. I think what we're trying to do with our coaching world, uh, the ones we're working with is turn them into chameleon coaches. So rather than putting our model, we have that there. We're still honoring that, but we try to put the model of the player out there. So we're gearing everything around what they do best, yeah. how to communicate best to them, how to best educate them, how to get the most out of themselves. Mm. And that's when the real magic starts happening. I mean, the success that we've had is way greater than that eight to 10%. I mean, it, I've never had a player leave service and it's just no been organic growth. Wow. Um, that's awesome. It's just, and it's not there to impress, but it is there to say, like, we're tailoring things to you. And so it resonates. That doesn't mean your journey in golf is going to be like less difficult. No, it's the most demanding, hardest game in the world. Mm. But you now have your blueprint to help you navigate these ups and downs so much better. If you're having a struggle, you know how to address your brain. We can know how to coach and guide that player to where they can have some peace and actually now be productive. Mm. Um, it's been powerful. And I mean, we this this has just been um an obsession of mine for almost now 13, 14 years since we got onto the mental golf type track. Mm. And just to bring home this point, we left and moved from California and just went to Florida on a vision after a phone call I had when we were doing a lot of this initial research and investigation with players. And one of the swing coaches I was working with sent me one of his top guys. He was an amazing player, Mm -hmm. won five times in his SEC program, missed tour by the old system by like a shot, or Mm -hmm. maybe it was two, like right there. Ended up going to talk to a famous psychologist. And he was struggling, and the psychologist noticed like what good psychologists do pick up on patterns and goes, Hey, I'm hearing just tons of negative speculation. And it's just always like these doom and gloom speculations about the future. And what if this is going to happen? And all these things, well-intended advice. He goes, why don't you turn this into a positive? Let's start practicing expecting good. Like, what if it worked out for you? Right. Sounds good. Right. Like, okay. Found a pattern for the next three years this player tried to implement that type of advice on the course with his shots speculating about his results all these different things he made three cuts out of 36 events was so embarrassed at his last round he didn't even turn in his card was like at the brink of quitting mm. so here's a tour level player can barely make a cut now what had changed i mean we can't say his motion per se So I was talking with him and we were starting to go through his modes of operating for his personality type, his stress mode, okay, his least developed mental function, the thing that has got the least attention in his whole life, his most weakest mental muscle. Okay. What is it? Extroverted intuition or speculating about the future, verbalizing anything positive or negative. Okay. Mm. So like, but most of the time, because it's their stressor, it's catastrophe stuff, right? Like yep. doom and gloom. Anxiety, what worry if about this the future. is gonna go down. Yeah. He was trying to apply it at a positive. Okay. If that positive or we could just shift it like that and apply that same thing, if it would have worked, it would have worked. It didn't. It was still his stress, it was still his least developed function, literally made him almost quit the game. Mm. We started flipping the whole thing. We got back into his number one, which is working a lot more linear a lot more step-by-step step, working one to two to three to four is going to take me to my goal. We did that in his shot process as well. We actually eliminated most target thinking. It was more of a linear, Hey, good aim, good move. It will resolve. And mm-hmm. this is aligned with how he is practicing. Within three months, he had his first pro win. He literally just took the vice grip off his brain mm. with a couple simple shifts. Cause he goes, look, he goes, Holy shit. Well, Sorry, you're good You know, like I have been in stress my, for the last three years, that's, he's like, that's exactly how I've been playing golf. Mm. That was, it was so extraordinary to hear that from that level of player. And to see that, even if we tried to shift well-intended advice and just turn it into a positive, it literally destroyed his game. Mm. Wow and that's not any knock on that psychologist because again we we're just not coming from this perspective yet yeah we made a simple shift aligned it to what he did great what his number one mental function was and his performance came right back mm. that was enough then i honestly josh i had this vision i've never met mike bender never talked to mike bender and I just knew about him from one of the swing coaches I worked with would send his son to Mike. And I'm like, you know, if Mike was getting, if they're sending their son to Mike and they're a swing coach as well, Mike must be way up there. I had this vision, Josh. I'm like, I'm going to work with Mike Bender and I'm going to really develop this and roll this out with them. There's something here. We literally, my wife's wild enough and crazy enough to go along with everything. She's the best. (laughs) We packed up and moved to Florida. I mean, we drove to Florida I ended up getting a house at Heathrow's right next to where Mike was at and the stars aligned. And sure enough, I got an interview to go in and talk with them and it worked out. And from wow. there, it has just been amazing from working with pros to juniors, from all different walks of life, from all around the whole world. This This transcends culture. It transcends your gender. It transcends where you're at it is the same if you're in japan as it is if you're in arizona as wherever it's mm. a human template mm. and the more we can figure or, or key in on this it's just the beginning of like really exciting things that are going to come in ways of our own performance and learning it at that individual level um it's it's really exciting but that's yeah. it's was so powerful we just it opened up 14 year obsession <laughs> and um and a lot of it was trying to debunk things too, but yet yeah, it holds up. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Shows up on the focus band. It holds up regardless of culture. Uh, the only barrier we sometimes have is language barrier initially just to get the initial results if there was a, a thing there. Sure. Um, but here's the cool thing. Even if you didn't have the right result, you'll know immediately in golf because right. you'll feel restricted. You'll feel tight. You'll start seeing a change and then you'll do the opposite. And it's like complete freedom. And it doesn't take long. It's like putting the ball from your left hand back into your right hand. I mean, how confident do you get Mm. when you can now use your strength to perform? It's, it's like this, it it just comes right to you. It's Mm. really, it's really amazing. Yeah. Well,
0: at at the risk of, um, of spoiling that mic drop moment, because that's amazing, man, that the, uh, the transformational nature of, of this is, is, is awesome. But let's, let's head towards the home stretch with some more practical things that people can do some actual, maybe applicable exercises that, that people can do. And again, this is generally applicable, right? The the very nature of doing a podcast about something that is person specific is, um, is counter counter, maybe counterproductive, but, you know, go take the mental golf type and do it yourself. But, um, something you said that kind of like, um, that stopped me in my tracks when when I asked, "What are some things that you want to talk about?" You mentioned hypnosis, and mm-hmm. um, and I think you maybe even called it golf hypnosis. I'm not sure, but what what's going on there? Uh, that that uh, sent me thinking. So, what do you what are you talking about there with hypnosis?
1: Well, that was actually where I got my start. I, I put myself through school using hypnosis and starting a practice when I was 18. Um, I was exposed to it, never thought in a million years like I would have ever used this type of tool or technology. Um, but we had a big, there was a big presentation we were at and there was maybe three, 400 people. My sister got picked to be the one up on stage to demonstrate mm-hmm. how empowering the mind was. Essentially, after she got into this nice, relaxed state, he said, your body's stiff and rigid as a steel beam. Nothing can hurt you, bend you, harm you in any way. And literally my, bo- my sister's body like locked up. They tilted her down, laid her face down across two chairs, face down. And she was suspending there like a table. And the guy went and stood on the small of my sister's back and was presenting his lecture on my sister. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty wild. Brotherly instinct almost kicked in at first. And then I was like, (laughs) Hey, get off her. (laughs) You know, like that's my sister. And again, like the Mike Bender situation at that point, young, it was like this the world opened up. I go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm doing that. I'm going <laughs> to learn how to do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I went immediately into it and uh, had tremendous successes. I mean, I was at a really low point in my life at that point. I didn't know what I wanted to do. This technology literally transformed the way I perceive the world, the way I feel, um, motivation, productivity, all of it, um, simply by using this self-improvement tool. Hmm. Um, and for those skeptics out there, I have used self hypnosis, and I got four impacted wisdom teeth removed without any anesthetic or novocaine. Uh, and I also have done a root canal. I'm ashamed to say about all my dental work, but <laughs> I had a root canal also done with without anything, um, just self hypnosis. Dent or the the surgeon was scared, or the dentist, he's like, I don't know about this. Your blood pressure, all this stuff's going to spike. I said, Look, I'm not trying to be tough. If it hurts me, you know, I'll let you know. But I prefer not to get the the drugs if I don't need to. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I had no problem with the wisdom teeth. I came, I ate a hamburger with my mom 15 minutes later. uh, We went out to eat, and I didn't have any anesthetics. I didn't Mm. have anything to worry about. And my healing was faster. The, the doctor said he thought I healed up for months after, like, my two-week checkup. Uh, I know that's not golf world, but that's kind of like a – that was one of the solidifiers for me, too. Like, going through that, I know, like, wow, there is some real power here. Mm. Um, And so, hypnosis isn't all the wooey stuff that people think about, the movies, the control, all this stuff. That's all misconceptions. Mm. Literally, we have f- – Four predominant brain waves: beta, alpha, theta, delta. Beta is full awareness. Delta is unconscious sleep, and in between are like our super learning states, super performance states. I mean, the alpha wave, the relaxed state of awareness, that's our zone. How do we get into that? Through knowing your mental golf type, by learning how to relax and get into that type of state. And we have theta. Theta is kind of like just in life. Uh, when you're getting really active, vivid dreams, like when you're laying in bed in the morning on a Saturday morning and you're not getting up or as you're drifting into those, those really deep dreaming sleeps, that's theta.
0: Mm. But
1: alpha and theta brainwaves are what you're predominantly using as a child. It's when you're soaking in information. Our brains are just absorbing things like a sponge and we act on it. Think about the big feats of learning children make versus adults, Okay. They learn language from just processing sounds and absorbing things, the movements, all the gender roles, social roles, all these different things that we're not sitting down showing them flashcards, giving them presentations, trying to itemize it like that. They just soak it up. Mm. Now, as we get to be older, we develop that beta rhythm. That beta rhythm is our conscious mind, essentially. And its primary job while we're in that state is to judge, evaluate, and critique everything that we're exposed to it's a defense mechanism will this kill me will it not kill me is this safe is it not safe i mean it's constantly going through this this analysis very limited part of our brain so if we're in beta waves and we're trying to improve our self-image which is kind of resonates at a different vibration or a different brain wave we sometimes get met with that that wall let's say you're going to use an affirmation uh, I'm confident off the tee, but you've been struggling, right? Mm. That hits that wall, goes, no, it's not. No, you're not. Mm. You think of that last round, right? Your brain gives you all that reference. I can do it. No, you can't, right? That, that beta wave is going to stop all incoming information. We'll only allow things through that are congruent with your self-image. Mm. And when we're adults, this is our primary operation. So we lose touch with how to learn. Again, going back to language, we have that critical learning period. Why? It builds the framework. You look at adults trying to learn language. They're doing all this tedious, slow stuff like flashcards and memorization and all these things. We just don't learn that way. We learn really quick, but we're just out of touch with the brainwave of learning. Hmm. What hypnosis is or guided meditations or whatever you want to call it, we like to call it mental fitness because many people think of hypnosis as like a quick fix. Like you're going to snap your finger and suddenly you're going to hit it better.
0: Right. The yips will go away. Uh
1: It's a way of building and conditioning your brain to have new, consistent thinking, Uh to change your self-image and get past that critical barrier that stops the information you want in because it's just not consistent with what's Uh already there, if that makes sense. I see. So if I view myself as a poor driver of the golf ball and I'm in a conscious state and I'm saying I can hit it well, it's not going in because it's not congruent your inner mind doesn't discriminate if that's a good or a bad thing. It's like, I'm bad off the T. Okay. It's like soil. It just supports what it knows at that level. So how do we get the information in? We relax our minds into alpha and theta brainwaves. And when we're relaxed like that, that critical barrier gets suspended. It kind of goes down. It doesn't mean that you're going to suddenly turn over your wallet or do those things, you're aware of everything going on around you, but yet you just are receiving information in just this whole different state of consciousness. And for whatever reason, in those relaxed states, information is accepted way easier. And not only is it accepted, but you just naturally start acting upon these behaviors a lot more readily. Hmm. And so- hidden secrets of people like tiger woods was hypnosis from very early on as it as i think from 11 on through his junior years getting hypnotized to create mental triggers we Mm -hmm. do similar things for players with creating and establishing mental triggers so that like you could grip your club and that action alone causes your brain to relax Mm. and people aren't aware like think about just general behavior for a minute People build habits that are so unbreakable and they're not linked to anything. Like a smoker sitting in a car and wanting to light up the car and the cigarette have nothing in common. Yet I sit in the car, I light up. I sit in the car, light up. I sit in the car, light up. Pretty soon it's there. You just think of the car, boom, I'm ready to light up, right? Yeah. The same thing can happen with people's golf games. We can condition our mind. When I grip my club, I feel confident. When I grip my club, I think it's success. When I grip it, I'm instantly relaxed. Now, you do that over time and at that state of consciousness, this is like a child. It's absorbing and you just act on it. And You might not consciously be aware of it being happening, but you grip your club and you suddenly are feeling good. Mm. You're relaxing. and Over time, this becomes really powerful neuropathways. And so you can change your self image this way. You can accept new ideas more readily. You can condition your brain for certain behaviors. Um, so it's a super powerful, useful tool. And we have a bunch of different things throughout our program now where people can experience that and just sit back, relax, and create success. And um, it's it's a really powerful way to accelerate things in your life.
0: And and this is a um, a like coach led thing. It's not a something I would learn for myself necessarily. It would be this person is knowledgeable and experienced and maybe even certified. I don't know, but um, can lead me through this process that allows me to be more receptive to things.
1: So I, I I always tell all the people, all hypnosis. This is what I used to say back then. All hypnosis is really self-hypnosis. There is nothing with the, like a person who's a hypnotist is essentially a guide. Okay. Sure. They're guiding and directing you to be able to relax your mind and sustain that relaxed state. So here's the the caveat. You can definitely do it on your own. Like I was doing with the dental work. Mm. Um, It's, it's a little different though, or where it's more challenging is, is you're having to sustain the state and kind of give your mind the same directives. Right. So again, you're relaxing. Now you start thinking, well, what's happening to our brainwaves? They're going from this state back into those, that quick rhythm. Now you're starting to get invoke a different thing. So it's a lot easier where you can sit back, relax, and then just absorb information. So typically when I work with a person, I'm not trying to, you have your answer. Most people know what they want to do. They have it. The challenge is just getting it into the brain where they're acting upon it. Right. And so I'm like a feedback mechanism in those types of sessions. Okay. I'm feeding back to you what you've told me. That is what we're really trying to get accomplished. Mm. Uh, I might say it a little bit different in ways, but it's essentially just feeding back and and keeping you in a state where you can receive the information. That's where audios are helpful. um, Things like that. When I tend to do my own like self-hypnosis, let's say it's, it's usually something really simple. Let's say I was getting ready for a public speech. I'd say, you know, when I have that mic in my hand, I'm at my best. When I have that mic in my hand, my thoughts are articulate, they are clear, my best flows out of me. And I'll just put like a couple little ideas like that in there. And then I'm visualizing or trying to get into the experience of what that would be like rather than trying to direct my brain with an affirmation or suggestion. The best affirmation, if you will, it's called an auto-suggestion. If you're going to just replay one is every day and in every way I get better and better. This was uh, created by Emile Coué. He was a French physician in like in the 1800s and like had all these tremendous, I don't know if you call them healings or mm-hmm. medical recoveries. And he gave them the mental prescription to say that to themselves two or three times every 30 minutes. Mm. Every day and in every way, I get better and better. Now, if you want to sit an activity at home, sit at home, start relaxing, close your eyes. Have nice controlled breathing. Once you feel yourself letting go, allow that thought to just kind of roll around. Mm. Every day and in every way, I get better and better. And then set and then see if there's an echo. You know, see if your mind sends you back a picture, an image, a feeling, and then cast it back out again. Every day and in every way, I get better and better. And this mantra is so powerful because even if you're going to use an affirmation, that's the only one I really personally use. Mm. Because your brain can't reject that idea, okay? When we create a thing like, I'm a confident off the tee, my brain can say, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. But the brain cannot reject that type of suggestion. Every day and in every way, I get better and better because in some way, I improved today. And my conscious mind is now seeking these things out. right? And it it doesn't matter because psychologically, it's still growing. And what's cool with the subconscious mind It's like if you hear a politician talk, they go, yeah, we need change. They don't tell you ever specific because they know as they say that your mind will make it specific.
0: It'll make the change. Your mind will
1: bring that change that's important to you. And Mm. that's how politicians can really attract thousands of people in a speech because they're really not saying anything, but they're saying something personal to you at the same time by nature of those words. So when you're saying every day and in every way, I get better and better. Well, if you're working on your chipping, your brain is naturally thinking of that. Mm. It just comes up in the background mm. and it's a wonderful, um, way to be able to really train your brain.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's more, I think the, at my, my interpretation, of what you're saying is the reason why your brain doesn't reject it is it's, it's more process and Im- improvement focused, more controllable. You might even say, rather than I'm a good driver of the golf ball, that's, that's like, um, like trying to lie to your brain, like, but basically trying to fake it till you make it. And, um, your, the mantra you're talking about is more, I'm getting better. Right. And that doesn't have to mean I am magically great. I'm in the process of getting better. And that's always credible to your brain.
1: Yeah. And it, it just will begin naturally associating those things to it. Right. Um, Yeah. So yeah, you're making, if it's a real definitive statement. Now where that statement can be good is now if you relax your mind Mm -hmm. and you're in that nice, relaxed state. Now you can start saying, I'm confident off the T and you'll find that it's met with way less resistance. Okay. Other things that are important is your body language. So your body language, thoughts, and emotions will all work together as one unit, believe it or not. Even though they're separate, they work as a team. If you're not accepting an idea, you're probably in a state of body language, a position that is not also conducive to accepting that, Mm. okay? If I'm sitting there like this, Mm. and I'm trying to say I'm confident, (sighs) your body's sending a different signal to your brain. It's like a gatekeeper. It's rejected. That's Mm. not going in. So Mm. an easier way to improve that too is take charge of your body language first put your body language into the type of position or state that's going to match the type of thought you want to accept and maintain it and then feed the thinking. Hmm. Because if not, it's going to be incongruent and it's not going to be effective. And the body is the easiest thing to take control of. And within a minute or two, you literally will shift your thinking and emotions to follow suit. So even if you feel frustrated, can you put your body language into a confident um, "I'm in-control language? Hmm. Right now, we hold that for a minute or two. You'll find that by the time you get to that next shot, you'll feel and think different. You'll be able to accept a new type of thought. But it's always striving for congruence. We can't be incongruent. Hmm. If we are, that's called cognitive dissonance. Too much cognitive dissonance, you're going to end up in, in working with a psychologist somewhere because it's going to create big problems. Right. So our brains have these mechanisms. It's always bringing us to congruence. And if your state's off, take charge of your body language first because it's the easiest and the one to correct and easiest to maintain. But changing a thought and emotion can be tough. So start there and then you'll find yourself accepting ideas a lot better. But vague suggestions will tend to be somewhat better if you're in a conscious state. And um, I would say if you want to drive in things like I'm confident, record it on your phone, relax Mm -hmm. and then play your own voice. So be more receptive to it. So that's also helpful. And I know it sounds weird too, but you can also sit and cup your ears and close your eyes and do your affirmations with your with the cupped ears. Hmm. And it's something different. It tells your subconscious you're doing something different. And there's a whole different sound of your voice and resonance and right. things when you cup your ears. And so it kind of creates a unique situation of saying, this is a unique thought. This hmm. is something I want the subconscious to pay attention to. This isn't a random 50,000 thought that is running through my mind. Sure. Um, so that's helpful. And then I also heard from a neurologist, which is really cool. I found a lot of benefit is if you're going to do affirmations in front of your mirror, use your opposite hand, your inferior hand, and brush your teeth first with your opposite hand. And then do your affirmations after you've done that. Hmm. Again, like the cupping of the ears it's a it's a change it's a dramatic pattern interrupt you're doing something different with your left hand so you're invoking different parts of your brain already and then again keep your body language strong and look yourself in the eye after you do that and that's Mm. one of those ways that will start rewiring the brain
0: wow that is that's fascinating interesting stuff i i could probably talk to you for the next three or four hours uh or if not the next three or four weeks but uh we let's, let's head, head our way out. This has been awesome stuff, John. I, this rich, really, really awesome stuff. Um, if you could point people, I know where I would go to find you, but if you could point people to find you, uh, links that I would include in the show notes, where would you point, point people?
1: Uh, mental You can go on there, take the free assessment. We give you a free mental fitting. You can get your results and open up a free member portal for you. Uh, we have a new app out available, so you can go and get the app once you get your login information, access everything right through your phone. And then we're on uh, YouTube and Instagram at Mental Golf Type. So you can come and join there and get a lot of different videos and insights on those channels as well.
0: Awesome. And again, I'll have those links down in the show notes. Anyone can can check those out. And uh, something I, I try to ask a lot of guests at the very end is, uh, is there a book or a resource, uh, primarily a book? You know, a lot of listeners here like reading. Um, are are you a big reader? Or is, I is, am, yes. Yeah, okay. So uh, obviously you said you've been doing, you do a lot of your own research, but is there a book that you would recommend that maybe you've read recently or a, a major one that you've read that you would recommend to the listeners?
1: Yeah, Carl Jung, Psychological Types. All of our research, like the the personality type information, he is the pioneer. Mm. He discovered this in 1921, mm-hmm. and now there's almost over a hundred years of research um, that is validating and and supporting all of this. So I would definitely look at at that for sure. Um, any other books? There's another guy, it's outside of golf, but if you really want to learn some pretty profound thinking, one of the people I like to read is Dr. David Hawkins, mm. and he talks about power versus force and has a whole number of book series all on that. And it's really amazing stuff because he talks about kinesiology, mm. uh, like muscle testing, but showing how the muscle testing is also influences you with your thinking, your emotions, how, like, negative thinking makes your body and your whole system actually go weak with verifiable tests that you can do. Uh, that's really self evident. Hmm. Um, in the golf world, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. There's so many good ones. Um, but yeah, Carl Jung and Dr. David Hawkins have been yeah. big shapers of my own views in life and okay. just amazing thinkers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, a lot of the best books that help us play golf are ones that just help us as people, because golf is just one of the things that we do as people. So if we can improve our minds as a person, we'll probably improve our performance on the golf course. Right.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I yeah. mean, golf's a microcosm of life. I mean, it exposes you. Uh, it's, it's challenging. Um, but yeah, anything that we can work on improving ourselves. And essentially, that's what mental golf type's is going to teach you. You're going to learn lifelong empowering skills that you can go and in your school, your work, your day-to-day life. Stress is stress. Golf's a great way to learn this and see the big improvement. And as a result, you can alleviate that from, with your health and improve your health, improve your business, your communication with your families. It's It's really cool what this opens up. So. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much, John. I appreciate uh, your passion and your, um, your, your deep thinking on this on this subject. So I really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. All right, everyone.
0: Hope you learned a thing or two about why it's so important to know your own personality and how that's not actually always as intuitive as it should be. John Weir, I thought, cut through the noise and offered some really valuable actionable tools to be able to gain that knowledge about yourself and gain that knowledge about your own personality that I clearly is vital uh, to, to being able to play your best golf, right? I, I think I have a tendency to uh, do what is supposedly right for everyone, but not everyone is the same. Right? There are um, dozens of variabil- variabilities, variations in different people's personalities. And um, mine is different than other people's. So I have to know my own personality and lean into it. And I thought John Weir and Mental Golf Type is just an awesome, uh, awesome way to do that. And if you like this episode, you'd probably also like a two part conversation I had with Kyle Alderink on the Mental Golf Show. Kyle has been a key component in the development of mental golf type, and we get into some of it in that conversation uh, with Kyle. The first episode is titled, Understand What Pressure Does to You with Kyle Alderink Part 1, and the second episode is titled, Why You Should Embrace Discomfort with Kyle Alderink Part 2. Those were released on September 26, 2023, and October third, twenty 2023, respectively. Go check those out if you're interested. And as I always mentioned at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and entertainment purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. If you have any questions or comments about these topics or working with me one-on-one on your golf psychology, feel free to send an email to josh at joshnicholsgolf.com or head to my website, or or you can find me on Twitter slash X and Instagram at Josh Luke Nichols. I'd also like to point you to the mental game assessment. It's a free 15 minute questionnaire that will give you your mental strengths and areas for improvement. It's the same resource that I use with all of my clients. Uh, In fact, it might be a good complimentary uh, tool in addition to the mental golf type uh, to really start understanding yourself and really uh, start to take actionable steps towards improving your mental game i think both would be really good Uh, the mental golf type takes 15 20 minutes mental game assessment my assessment takes 15 to 20 minutes so in 30 to 45 minutes you could know a lot more about your own mental game and i think that's so important So if you're interested in the mental game assessment or anything else that, uh, John Weir, uh, mentioned or that we talked about, the links will be in the show notes of this episode. All right. Thanks again for listening to the mental golf show, whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that you have been a part of building. If you've learned something on this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a review of up to five stars if you feel that we've earned it. And most of all, thank you for your interest in the mental game. I'm Josh Nichols, and I'll catch you guys next time.